Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. If you don't have a Bible, there's some out in the lobby, um, or you can just look it on with us on the screen. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am going to be content, or I, I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. One more time, let's just pray over the reading of God's word. God, thank you so much um, that you have just spoken to us. I thank you, Lord, that the power of salvation is here and at work. I pray, God, that you would save hearts, and may we leave this room looking at how incredibly magnificent Jesus Christ the King is, in Jesus' name. And the church say amen. Amen. So we're at the tail end of this series through the letter to the Philippians. And if you notice, there are a lot of scriptures that are coffee cup scriptures on that we just read, right? Uh, it goes back to the series title that these are more than just pearls. A lot of times when we read through scripture, we take a, a scripture and we apply it directly to our need as if Tim Tebow did what he did because of Philippians 4.13. Any Tim Debo fans in the house? Okay, <laughs> one. Well, that analogy was just going to go great. Right? You, you heard a lot of very familiar scripture, but what is really being said behind it? What's the context? Because that's going to be important. And we just had a lot of those pearls in just this one small section of scripture. And you got to remember why this letter was written. You remember? You go back to the first few weeks when we were talking through this, that Paul was replying to their request of, hey, Paul, how you doing, man? Paul, are you doing okay? We heard you're in prison, man. Paul, like right back to us, like, let us know what we can do for you. And you remember Paul's response, right? They say, Paul, how are you? And, and Paul's response was, the gospel is doing just fine. Paul is going to give us more in depth of what it looks to be content and how we find contentment. Not only was it their request to know how Paul's doing, but, but this is also a letter of thanks, right? 
We see a letter that's rich in theology, but really this letter, when it was written, was just a correspondence between Paul and what it looks like his favorite church. Like, like this is his favorite church folk, right? That's fine. Let the lights come on. Why? Because these people were very generous. And so we're going to see two ideas just in these short few verses that Paul is talking about. And the first idea is contentment. And the other idea is generosity. So contentment, generosity. So let's just kind of dive in and look through what Paul is saying about these two fundamental things that we all really could use to learn more about in our day and age in the culture that we live in, contentment, and there's more light, and generosity, right? <laughs> the more I talk, the more light bulbs are going to come off in your head, and it's just going to be so wonderful, I hope. Look at verse 11, what he says. He says, not that I am speaking of being in need. Let me pause there for a second. Where's Paul at? He's in prison. Can I tell you, if I'm in prison... I've got a lot of need, and I'm going to need every single one of you to come together and create a love like one of those GoFundMes to get Matthew Thrower out of prison. I have a need if I'm in, If you are in prison, you have a need, don't you? Yeah. And so now there's a little difference between our prisons because they supply at least some form of food. I don't know if it's real, but we'll just go with some form of food. In Paul's time, if you're in prison... They don't give you anything. If you starve in prison, fine, they don't care. If you are thirsting to death, it's fine, you don't care. Who did you rely on? The generosity of other people. And so thus the need for the Philippians to send him through their boy to give Paul what he needs. And yet, Paul says in prison that he does not have a need. How can Paul say that? So he goes on, he says, for I have learned... In whatever situation, I am to be content. Now, contentment is an incredibly elusive uh, thing, right? It's a difficult thing to grasp, contentment is. Oh, okay, how many of you would say that I don't need the bigger car, I don't need the nicer car, I don't need the bigger house, I don't need a better house, I don't need a better spouse? I mean, I hope you wouldn't say that, but I don't need more things, I don't think a lot of us can genuinely say that they have earthly contentment because there's this desire in all of us. And I think what culture would tell you is that you always need something more. I mean, if you are at that level of contentment, then we need to talk. I need to figure out your secret. But I think the majority of us, especially in, in an American world that we live in, in the, the wealthiest time on earth, we find ourselves with this idea of contentment being very elusive for us because we always want more. We always want more things. And there's something to be said about Paul's circumstances that should be said of us. Paul is in prison, and joy and contentment for him was never an issue of having or not having enough, right? For Paul, he's found contentment in having abundance and having lack, finding contentment in the good times and finding contentment in the bad times, even in um, 
prison. I, I want to read you some of this. I, I read this blog, this Becoming Minimalist blog. I think it's like becomingminimalist.com, or you can Google it yourself. This author, they, and they cite their information so you can go on there yourself and, and cite it and look at yourself. I ain't doing all that. Uh, this says in Becoming Minimalist blog, it says this. The author says that there are 300,000 items in the average American home. Whoa. <laughs> That's a lot of items, all right? 25% of people with two-car garages don't have room to park cars inside of them, and 32% of those people only have room for one vehicle. Me. The United States has upward of 50,000 50, storage facilities more than five times the number of Starbucks. And y'all, we love our coffee. Mm-hmm. But I think we love our stuff just a little bit more. Three point, this one was crazy too, hold on. British research found that the average 10-year-old owns 238 toys, but plays with maybe 12 per day. 3.1% of the world's children live in America, but they own 40% of all of the toys consumed globally. If you're a parent, like you're feeling like, ah, oh, dude, chill out, man. I, I get it. Like my boy Ezra, like he's got so much junk. That's what it is. Nearly half of America, I'll stop like kicking you in the shins in just a second. I just found this very interesting. Nearly half of American households don't save money. However, but our homes have more television sets than people. And those television sets are turned on for more than a third of the day. Unless Ezra is your kid and he breaks your TVs. Anyway, I'm not bitter. And, 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 And for... Uh, my women folk, don't throw your shoe at me, but I'm going to give you this one. Women will spend more than eight years of their combined life shopping. Amen. I'm not judging. All right. This is not a judgment right on you because I can't really. I mean, this is like this is my life. Right. We think that more stuff is where we find our contentment. We think if I could just have more things, if I can just have the better lifestyle, then we'll have this contentment. The reality is, is that you don't realize just how much stuff you have until you're around someone who doesn't have anything at all. I would suggest to, to go into a, a foreign mission field, right? Even if it's just a 10-day, and a lot of people don't like those, but I think a lot of beautiful things can happen in this. I've been on several. I've been, been to Haiti. I've been to Mex- some slummy parts of Mexico. And I have found the most joy-filled people are the people that don't have anything at all. If you don't believe me, go down to some of these third world countries. They have a joy, yet they have absolutely nothing but they have a joy that many of us, even in this room, will never experience in our life because the culture of consumerism is our God. Comparison is also a thief of contentment, right? Like just 
get on the gram, right? Get on the IG and you, you, you follow all of your, your celebrities, you follow your neighbors, you follow everybody. And there's always this thing that like they have, but I've got to have also. It destroys and it robs you of this contentment that Paul is giving, uh, that he's telling us about here. Look, at, look back at Paul's words. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now, the phrase here that I've learned the secret is actually just one Greek word, and it's mueo. Don't ask me to say that again, because I don't think I would be able to get it without sounding like a cow. And historically speaking, it's this general idea is to initiate into the mysteries of life. In the Greco religion, in the Greco Roman religion, it was this idea that you have experienced some divine revelation. Paul says that I have experienced this divine revelation of what it's like to be content. And how did he do that? He learned. He learned. Some of us think that being content is just this sudden thing that we're going to get, like God's going to zap you. Boom! You're content. Praise the Lord. But that's not what happens, and that's not what Paul says. It's this process. It's just I've got to constantly be learning in this. Sometimes, and it plays itself out like this, sometimes it's not you getting the better job. Sometimes it's, it's, it's you not getting the bigger house. Maybe God is saying no to something. Maybe it's God saying no to a relationship. Why? Because he wants you to learn the secret of being content. A lot of times we think those no's are like, that's just the devil. We just bind that devil in the name of Jesus. Right, that's how we did it in the South. But like sometimes we just think those no's is just the enemy coming against me. Maybe it's God telling you no. Because he wants you to learn the secret, the divine mystery of learning to be content with where you are right now. He goes on to say the secret. And what is this secret here? In verse 13, one of the most overused verses in all of scriptures, right? I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Sounds less like winning a football game than it does. It sounds more like how to learn how to lose the football game. Come on now, y'all seen all the athlete, athletes who are Christian, right? It's the hashtag, I can do all things through Christ. I'm like, well, Tim Tebow, why were you such a loser then, man? Right? <laughs> Just kidding. He's playing for the Jags now. I'm rooting for him. But come on now. Like we use this verse and we think, I can become the president. You know why? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Oh, okay. Yeah. We equate this verse as if it's some super magical power that God's going to give you. But, but what has just been happening where Paul is saying, listen, you guys have lack it's fine. We're going to learn to be content. Sounds more to me like Paul is saying that I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things. I can learn to be content in all things through Christ who gives me strength. Going through a series of trauma in your life, Paul says you can go through it with Christ. Been 
just met with failure after failure after failure. Maybe your bank account doesn't look that great. Maybe your life is just full of trauma all around. Here's what Paul is saying. You can be content in those seasons. And I know you can because God will give you the strength to be content in those seasons. Through Christ, there's the secret. Through Christ, you can go through abundance and lack. Through Christ, you can go through any season of your life is being dealt before you. Paul, if you remember what contentment is in, in kind of an earthly definition of contentment, Paul gives it to us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8. Paul says to his, his boy Tim, and he says, if we have food and if we have clothes, we can be content. Now, I'm going to do a little survey, so just bear with me. How many of you have food Maybe in your fridge. Maybe it's in your lap. All right? Yeah. How many of you have clothes on your back? If you don't, then we probably would have asked you to leave already, right? No offense. It's just not that kind of church. So guess what? You know what Paul just said? Come on, you know what he just said? You can be content. All you need are just two little ingredients, food and clothes. Isn't that earth-shattering to us? Isn't that insane to think that all we need are just a couple little things to keep us going? Notice where Paul is not at, right? He's not on the jet with the beebs and, like, being served cocktails, calling the church and saying, hey, be content, guys. It's going to be okay. Kind of like some of our celebrity pastors do. No, Paul is like, the proof is in the pudding, y'all. Paul's in prison, and he's telling them, I know this because I'm testing it out right now. I'm content. I'm fine. I am completely fine with where I'm at. And how has he gotten to this point? Because of all things through Christ, who has given him the strength to be content. Let's keep moving, or like, I will be on that point like for, for eternity. Look at verse 14. And Lord, can you like just stop breathing for like 10 minutes? It's hot and there's like, whoo, like a rush of hot air going on up here. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So evidently, the church of Philippi, they've been locked in with Paul financially for quite some time, ever since the beginning of this. It wasn't that they were just giving to Paul every now and then. This was more of a consistent generosity. And I think those two ideas are fundamentally two different things. Situationally generous and consistently generous. It's fine to be situationally generous. It's completely fine. When we see a need, let's be generous. Let's go after it. But I think that the Bible would present to us more of an idea of being consistently generous. Now, I know like when the preacher gets 
starts talking about money, it gets uneasy for you. Can I tell you what's more um, uneasy than hearing about money in a church? Talking about money in a church. I would rather not even say anything. I'd be like, yeah, be generous. All right, let's move on. The Bible's got a lot to say about generosity. In fact, generosity really has a lot to do and it reveals a lot about your heart. And so I would rather be um, standing before the Lord and say, listen, I preached out of all of this and not just skip around. That's why I like going through books of the Bible because like when you go through books of the Bible, you hit a topic and you're like, I don't know about that. Can we just skip that part? Now, in Jesus' words, Paul, Paul is really just kind of imitating Jesus' words where Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so Paul is saying, listen, I'm glad you're generous, but I don't really need it for myself. Who, who is Paul needing them to be generous for? For themselves. Because there's a blessing behind being generous. Look what he said in, in 17. Not that I seek the gift. So Paul's like, listen, you need to be generous, but not because I am seeking after your generosity. But look what he says right here. But it's for, but I'm seeking the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent. And look how he, look how he categorizes generosity. A fragrant offering a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. What did Paul just do? And how did Paul just equate your generosity? He equated it to worship before the Lord. Why? Because we worship so many things with our money and our money is our God. Paul's like, listen, I just want you to feel the blessing of what it's like to give. And he says, sure, there's a reward to it. Sure, you'll, you'll receive something. And I want you to receive that. And here's the reward that he's talking about. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Some of you have heard that verse taken out of context many times. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So do you see the reward of being a generous person? And again, remember, this isn't about just being situationally generous. This is about being consistently generous. Do you see the reward of being a generous person that God himself will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory? And notice what the text does not say. It does not say God will supply all of your wants according to his riches and glory. And I think sometimes when we read into this, praying for the, you know, whatever it is that you're praying for. We're like, well, God, I know you're going to supply it because you supply all of my needs according to riches. Well, what if that's not a need? And again, I go back to that question, and what if God says no because he wants you to be content with where you are financially? Paul is saying, listen, there's a reward in your generosity, church. And it is that Christ will give you everything that you need. This isn't your time to break out a list of things that you want from God. You know, like, 
You know, the Porsche wouldn't be a bad idea, God. You'll supply all of my needs according to my riches and glory. Like the bigger, the larger house, the, the bigger raises, like all of those things, God, you'll supply them, right? Because it says you'll supply all my needs. Here, here's the most sh- shocking thing about this text. Yes, that God will supply all of your needs, but according to who? In Christ Jesus. I think that maybe Paul is wanting them to see something just a little deeper, that the reward is Christ. That's your reward. This is not about prosperity and health and wealth and all that crazy stuff that's indoctrinating the church. This is like, listen, church, and here's your reward. You ready for it? Christ. You get Jesus in the end. Is that enough? Is that enough for us in in this American culture that we live in that's telling you, you just need a little bit more and we've bought into that lie. You just need a little bit more. I think the question being asked here in this text this morning is, is Christ Jesus enough for you? That's the secret sauce to finding the contentment in your life. Jesus and him alone, that's enough. And that's the question you have to wrestle with. Is Jesus enough for you? So I've got just a few questions or thoughts, and then I'll wrap this up in just a second. The the first question I have is, what are some of the things that are killing your contentment in Christ? What are some of those things that are killing your contentment in Christ? You know, every minute that you scroll through social media, you see that somebody's got a a better home or somebody's got a better car, somebody's got a better husband or a better wife or somebody's got better kids, right? And you're like, man, if I could just have that. If I could just get those things, if my kids could just act like their kids. Come on, parents, you should have said amen right there, right? If I could just have what he, if I could have that life, What's killing your contentment in Christ? Is it that comparison that you find yourself trapped in all of the time? It's dangerous because if we get caught in that trap of that we don't get what we want, we, we tend to blame God on those things, and that's a dangerous place to be in. Paul says, I want you to learn the secret of being content. What's robbing you of your contentment in Christ? Here's another thing, like, what are, the, what are the learning experiences that you're missing in finding that contentment? What are those learning experiences that you keep saying, no, that's just the devil, or no, that's just this situation? What are those, what are those experiences in life that are presenting themselves up to you that you need to go into cautiously and saying, you know what, God? I'm going to learn contentment in this situation and season in my life because I know that's where my joy is going to be. I know that's where my contentment is going to be. So you don't get the raise. So you don't get to go to a job a couple hundred miles away. Yeah, maybe God wants to say no and press the brakes on it because he wants you to learn contentment. Another thing is, is like, 
what are you at? Like, what's your heart really after? What's your heart like truly pursuing after? You know, I think one of the indicators of what you really are going after in life, uh, what you're really pursuing is, is take a look at your bank statements, right? Take a look at like what you're really spending your life in financially, time-wise, like what are you really investing in? What's your heart really after? Because your heart is going to be where your treasures are. Isn't that what Jesus said? Which, by the way, Jesus talks more about money than really any of us want to give him credit for. Because he understood the idols of our heart and our tendency is to chase after the things that, are, that we can see and that we can, we can taste and that we can feel because it looks so pleasurable pleasures of our heart. And like Jesus, Paul here is saying the same things. What's your heart really after? I mean, so you get, and again, I'm not after having things, all right? Hello, my name is Matthew, and I love things. Like, if you want to bless me with a Porsche, let's talk, okay? Like, I'm fine with that. I'm not against things. The problem is when things rule us. The problem is, is that when we get in so much credit card debt, like we're, what are we Lord to? Our Lord is our credit, our debt. That's our God. And it robs us from living a life of being consistently generous. Just let me ask one more time. Like, what is your heart chasing after? Again, it goes beyond money, okay? What is your heart chasing after? And that could be the reason why you're not fulfilled with joy. You're not filled with contentment because of the simple things that you're chasing after were never designed to bring lasting joy and lasting contentment. What you chasing after? I think a better way to ask this question would probably be, what are you living for or who are you living for? Every person on earth worships something. And we are the worship things, or we worship Christ. And I think that's the broader question that should be asked. The broader question I have, I've asked myself as I was going through this, what am I investing in? What am I chasing after? God, reveal it in my heart, right? Let's pray.